From the studios of Boise State Public Radio News, I'm Gemma Gaudet. This is Idaho Matters. This winter, COVID-19 has surged nationally. In fact, as reported by the Idaho statesman, Idaho's COVID wastewater levels were the highest they'd been in two years. This happened just a couple of weeks ago. Now, this comes after Idaho lawmakers rejected about $16 million in federal grant money that would have helped pandemic response efforts, with the direct result being that our state's wastewater tracking dashboard likely has less data now. So what does all of this mean? Well, here to break this down for us is Dr. David Bate, the former CEO of St. Luke's Health System. And remember, if you have questions about public health, get them to us, Idaho Matters at boisestate.edu. Hi, Dr. Pate. Hi, Gemma. Okay, so Dr. Pate, can we first just talk about um, numbers? Is this COVID surge that we've been experiencing plateauing yet? Well, it's interesting. Uh, So it peaked and it has been on its way down, but we are now seeing another increase in certain parts of the country, um, uh, more so in the Northeast and less so in our part of the country. However, I just looked at the city of uh, uh, Boise's wastewater report and they're showing Mm -hmm. an uptick. So um, we may be uh, recovered from that uh, earlier peak that we talked about at the end of the year, but we may now beginning Uh, another surge um, and not sure exactly what's going on there. Be nice to see what variants are being detected. But as part of what you just said in your opening, I just saw that um, at least they've changed the format of the reporting from the city of Boise. I I can no longer see the variants identified. So I'm, I'm worried that maybe they've had to stop doing that testing. Mm. So, it, with that said, Dr. Pate, how then it, w- is this going to directly impact people I, in the sense that, you know, just what you said, right? You can't now figure out what the variants are. And, um, and, and that is sometimes critical information. Yes, it's been very helpful. So when I look at the wastewater, it really helps because we're no longer... Uh, doing that much testing, and uh, there's much less reporting of actual cases. We can find out about those in the hospital, but that's a little too late if you're planning to try to protect yourself. So the wastewater has been extremely helpful. Um, And what I look for is to see, are we on, you know, experiencing a new surge? Are we peaking? Are we coming down? Um, Because then, Uh, People can kind of plan if they're trying to protect themselves, which I think would be prudent uh, given a lot of other factors that we haven't talked about yet. But 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 this way you can kind of know, Okay, you know, when we're getting high levels like we just were coming off of, that might Mm -hmm. be the time to cut back on the social interactions a bit and uh, and maybe to to mask or take other precautions. Uh, when it's down, then that may be a time that people might choose to do less uh, protections. Uh, so it can be very, very helpful. And then the thing that I was just commenting on, I also look at what variants are being detected because 
oftentimes these appear in other parts of the world first. And I always am monitoring those to see, is that variant causing a problem in those countries like Mm. increased hospitalizations and so forth that maybe that would mean we should be extra careful. Uh, And so it's been very helpful, uh, but I don't have that much anymore. And like I was just saying, when we're seeing a new increase this shortly after it, you know, that makes me very concerned about uh, whether there's a new variant, but I can't tell now. So Mm -hmm. I have a lot less information to go on. Okay. So I want to get um, to some some questions about public health in just a minute, but a couple of other things that we need to talk about in regards to public health. One is this deadly fungal outbreak in Washington state. Um, Dr. Pate, talk to us about this. I mean, I've never even heard of this. Yes. Well, um, <clears throat> this is something that uh, back when I first started as CEO of St. Lee's Health System here in Boise, um, uh, probably about mm, 12 years ago or so, I was watching this because we had seen this fungus show up causing pretty serious problems in some Asian countries. And of course, I suspected that it was only a matter of time until it hit the United States. And so Mm -hmm. I kept monitoring because obviously um, what I wanted to do is make sure we kept patients safe at um, our hospitals. And I wanted to know if it was showing up because you have to take special precautions with this fungus. You can't do the routine cleanings and so forth. And so I was monitoring and then we saw uh, a case appear. My recollection is it showed up in Boston. So then I was pretty mm-hmm. sure, okay, it's a matter of time. Uh, then last year, we saw it create a, a significant problem for Las Vegas hospitals. Um, and then now, as you've just mentioned, we've got this outbreak. Uh, there's at least four cases in, um, in Washington. Now, why is this a problem? It's a problem because Uh, This uh, fungus is often highly drug resistant. It doesn't mean we don't have any treatment options, but we have, if you use the usual treatment to fungal infections, it's often not going to work. Also, while this fungus isn't a a significant threat uh, directly to healthy people, it is a big threat to people who are immunocompromised or elderly, uh, otherwise uh, not as strong immune systems. And of course, those are the people that tend to go into hospitals. And this uh, fungus is uh, transmitted through close and direct contact with people. And it this one, unlike most of the things that we talk about on this show, is transmitted through surfaces and, um, and direct contact with the patients. So And it's very hard to get rid of. So Mm -hmm. once you have it, you have to do a lot of, you have to isolate those people to protect it from spreading to others because it can spread efficiently as we're just seeing again in this um, Washington hospital outbreak. Um, But we also have to take special precautions because it's not easy to get rid of that uh, fungus. And those people that do get sick from it, which it can cause bloodstream infections, infections of the ear, face, uh, uh, skin, uh, other things, um, it, the death 
uh, rate from mortality rate from this infection in those folks is at least 30% and perhaps as high as 60% of these folks will die. So it's a pretty serious mm. uh, thing. I think now that we've had an outbreak in Nevada, now we've had an outbreak in Washington, I think um, you know our hospitals in Idaho need to be on high alert. And we need to be doing some surveillance, making sure that we're identifying it if it's in our hospitals anywhere and taking the appropriate steps to uh, in our, uh, change our cleaning processes to make sure we're getting that under control. So another thing, uh, Dr. Pate, that you're watching, and this is a measles outbreak in the UK, in particular in England. Uh, in fact, they've had since, uh, I believe, October, more than 300 confirmed cases. Now, health officials there are saying the numbers are probably a lot higher than that, but their concern is that the outbreak is going to snowball. So what do you know about this? And and I think sometimes people think, oh, it's over in England, whatever. Well, a lot of people take airplanes and things like that to, to the United Kingdom and other parts of the world. Well, you're exactly right. And so uh, the uh, health authority in the UK just declared this a national incident because of the huge spike in cases in a particular region of the UK uh, where, unfortunately, vaccination rates with the vaccine for measles, which is highly effective. This is a really effective vaccine. Uh, you typically get two doses. With the first dose, you typically have 93% nearly lifetime protection against getting uh, measles infection. And with the second one, it goes up to over 96%. So it's a highly effective vaccine. Back before this vaccine um, came out, measles used to be the top killer of children worldwide. And mm -hmm. we eliminated uh, uh, measles, I think back in about 2000, the UK eliminated uh, measles in 2017. So this is a major disappointment. And, and because measles is one of the most contagious viruses that we know of, it is highly uh, contagious and can linger in the air even after someone leaves the room for a period of time and you can catch it. So um, it's very dangerous in our daycares and schools if children are, are not vaccinated uh, because if you're exposed, you very likely you're going to come down with measles. Well, what we've had, we had a big outbreak of measles last year in Ohio. Um, mm -hmm. in a group of parents who uh, were not enthusiastic about vaccinating their children. Unfortunately, it also meant that um, uh, a lot of these kids ended up in the hospital very sick. Measles can cause uh, more serious illness than just rash. It can cause pneumonia. It can cause uh, uh, inflammation of the brain. It can even cause a rare complication that years after you think you've recovered from the measles, you can then get a terrible, terrible neurologic condition that is usually deadly. Uh, very sad when that happens. So uh, it happened there. Then uh, we saw, you were just talking about UK. Well, what we saw was a one-year-old who oftentimes would not be vaccinated yet, who had traveled mm -hmm. internationally, came back, and now in, uh, I believe it's in San Diego, um, that child is sick and hospitalized now. And, uh, and now we have just had another outbreak at an international airport in Ohio, um, just as you were mentioning, that 
a, a great way to get this is traveling. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, of course, we had a, an outbreak not long ago in Philadelphia. So we are seeing more and more of this. It's a, a totally preventable illness, except to these very young infants. And they are among those that are going to get the most ill, including as we saw uh, last year when we had a little small outbreak in Nampa where uh, mm-hmm. the unvaccinated dad ended up hospitalized. And, and uh, adults over 20 that get measles uh, can become very seriously ill or die. And of course, it would be a tragedy for a child to lose their parent from measles. So it's, it's a serious problem. It's unfortunately, there's so much vaccine misinformation, which is why I fight this so constantly, because it is dreadful to see these children pay the price for this disinformation just because people uh, want to spread this disinformation. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and also, as you said, Dr. Payne, I mean, it takes two doses, right? And so those are separated. I mean, I remember when both of my kids got, and it's the MMR vaccine, I believe, correct? And um, Yes, that's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so they're not fully immunized until they get that second vaccine. And, and with that space in between, I mean, that's they're toddlers, right? So you look at that one-year-old in California, right. and, and even if you're doing the, you know, even if you're getting your children vaccinated, you know, if they don't have that second dose, it's, you know, they, they might unintentionally be in a situation where maybe someone has measles and they don't even know it, and then your child is exposed. Well, that's right. We currently believe that these children can be infectious for four days prior to the onset of their rash. So usually it's when the rash occurs that we realize, ah, this is measles. And uh, because it's a very characteristic and very intense rash usually, uh, but you could be contagious for four days up to that. And that's one of the problems that happened in Philadelphia. We had a, a child that was known to have been exposed. And if you have a child that's exposed, because it can take a week, 10 days before that illness becomes manifest, uh, that child was supposed to stay home uh, and um, and be quarantined until we know that the child wasn't going to get uh, infected. Because the chances are, if you're exposed, you are going to get measles. That's, that's mm. the likelihood. Unfortunately, these parents uh, disregarded that and took the child to daycare. And then the child did get measles and now spread it to, I I think the last count was four other people in daycare. And and this is just, it's just so sad because these uh, uh, kids, uh, they can't protect themselves and they can get severely ill. Mm-hmm. I just have a couple of minutes left for you, Dr. Payne. I want to get to a couple of questions. Greta and Susan from Ketchum are asking about the latest information on Paxlovid. They want to know how and when it should be uh, prescribed because there's been recent articles suggesting that doctors aren't prescribing it as often as they should be. Yeah, this is a big public health um, disappointment that um, we don't have better uh, uptake of, of Paxlovid. And part of it is a lot of times patients don't know to ask for it. And sometimes 
we're finding physicians that uh, are mistaken in thinking they don't need to prescribe it unless the person's really sick. The point of giving Paxlovid is to give it early so that people don't become very sick. So uh, Paxlovid is, um, is highly recommended, uh, especially for those um, over 50, those that may be at uh, higher risk of uh, uh, getting sick. And it's an antiviral that will slow down the, the virus. It should be taken ideally within four days of the infection of turning positive. And so if you are in this group, you get COVID, contact your doctor and, um, and really push for the Paxlovid. It's very helpful. And it may, uh, there's some conflicting studies, but it may help reduce your chances of getting long COVID. Well, as always, Dr. Pate, so appreciate your time and your expertise today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to Idaho Matters. Boise State Public Radio and Idaho Matters are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Gemma Gaudette. We'll see you tomorrow. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.